Hey everyone, welcome back to This is Steph Sober, the podcast. I'm your host, Steph, an ex-binge drinker who is now a sober lifestyle blogger, as well as a wife and mother. In this episode, I have a soulful chat with Ev. This conversation opened my eyes to a deeper side of addiction. Ev's addiction to alcohol came about after years of struggling with an eating disorder. Addiction is so personal and Ev's story is a reminder that we never really know what lies beneath someone else's addiction. Ev is selfless in sharing her experience and in doing so, she hopes her light can help lead others to overcome their addiction as well. And as of today, the air date of this episode, it is Ev's 40th birthday. Happy birthday, Ev, and thank you for sharing your story. This is Ev Sober. Hello. Hello, Ev. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Steph? I'm doing well. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this all day. (laughs) Me too. Me too. With a little sprinkling of nervousness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's understandable. I've had a really busy day though. So I didn't really have a lot of chance to like the jitters to come up, but I'm like super excited. I love meeting new sober people and I'm so glad that we were able to connect and do this tonight. So. Absolutely. No, thank you so much. uh, I feel like I already know you because (laughs) I've been listening to your podcast for the last week so I feel like I've already invited Steph into my home. I've heard your voice. I've heard your conversation. So um, it's nice to officially meet you. And I hope that didn't sound too creepy. Oh, no, not at all. That I actually loved hearing that because obviously that's why I do the podcast. I want to connect with people and I want people to feel a connection with me um, just because I know for my sobriety, I felt so lonely And that's just really why I'm here. I just want people to, like you said, just feel like they invited me into their home and I'm, I'm there for them in some kind of way. So that really meant a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So let's kind of dive in here. Um, It's never my thing. I had the behaviors of hiding and shame and stuffing down my pain with other means. So, um, so I just wanted to mention that part. So when I was in elementary school, I was bullied horrendously. And I was very quiet, I was very shy. And kids can be pretty cruel. And, you know, I was like, I was never overweight, I look back at pictures, and I'm like, I I wasn't an overweight child but I was the tallest girl in my class and I was bullied over that. And they called me all these things. So I developed severe disordered eating um, by the time I was 12. Mm. I was 12. And then when I was 14 years old, like full on bulimia, anorexia and hiding it and embarrassed about it, ashamed about it. So it was, You know, it was a struggle for me, but I struggled in silence because I didn't have the ability or confidence to even share what was going on with me at that point. So that was my experience throughout elementary school, high school, no drinking, no partying, but stuffing my feelings, emotions, 
with disordered eating behaviors. Oh, wow. And then when I got to university, um, actually, <laughs> it's kind of, uh, it's kind of an interesting way how I found recovery through that is I'm a singer. And my voice teacher, I was studying opera, he heard in my voice that, you know, bulimia is a part of my story. And he heard that my vocal oh. cord affected. Yeah. And so when he um, approached me, and and brought that up about, you know, do I have an eating disorder, my whole world collapsed. That was the biggest secret. And that forced me to um, I did my first first year <laughs> and then I took a full year off and I found a counselor, found recovery. Um, I started the process of recovering from that, got myself healthy physically. However, it transitioned into I discovered a glass of wine helped me numb out. And it started off so innocently. I remember I remember saying to myself, um, I think I told my counselor as well at the time. I said, I'm just, you know, thank God I'm not an alcoholic. And I'm just dealing with this eating disorder stuff. Because if I was an alcoholic, like I would just be a mess because I thought it was such a mess with the bulimia. And it's like, huh, never say never, you know. Right. So, so I, um, you know, it started off drinking a glass of wine with dinner and thinking that was so sophisticated. I was an adult now and, you know, and, but the behavior around that was, if I'm completely honest, alcoholic behavior. I wanted to drink because like it would take me to this magical place of numbing out and, you know, any self-critical thoughts and all of that would would disappear because I'd be drunk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that, you know, they, they say it's progressive and fatal. And in my experience, definitely progressive. Wasn't right away. I actually came into recovery when I was 25 years old. And I'm going to be 40 next week. I think this podcast will air on my yeah. <laughs> so everyone so, listening right now, which actually your birthday as they listen. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, it's taken all these years for me to come into a place where I feel um, I feel open and I have the willingness to do whatever it takes to stay sober. Because the reality is, like, I've done enough research my story includes so many relapses and really dark times. And, uh, you know, when you're done, you're done. And yeah. yeah. So sorry, I totally glossed over some things, but um, that's, that's okay. I want to, before we, before we move on a little bit, I want to touch on something that I totally could relate to. So I got bullied too. I'm tall. How tall are you? About five, nine. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm all tall, but I was tall at the time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 5'10. And yeah, I got picked on. Um, you know, I was not very cool looking, we'll say. Um, short hair, glasses, just total nerd alert, I guess. Um, but 
kids are cruel. And, you know, looking back as an, as an adult, you can look back and, and figure out what triggered your behaviors or what made formed you into doing things that you've maybe done or beliefs that you have about life. And that really resonated with me when you told me that part of your story, um, because I've never suffered from eating disorder. I've had some, I would say disordered ways of looking at food through diet culture, but it's never been anything that I can relate to. And as far as like needing to go to recovery for it. Um, but I can relate to the bullying. I can relate to numbing out. I mean, I started drinking at 14 because that was my, to me, that was my ticket. That was my way to be someone I wasn't and to fit in. So I can totally relate to that happening and and see how that could lead to, you know, trying to find a way to find your place, I guess, with your disordered eating. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing that because that is, I'm sure there's so many people where one thing can lead to another, especially, yeah. When you're just, you think you've gotten over something else, but really you just switched, like swapped it out. And is that kind of what happened then for you? hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, I say this not to in any way speak ill of the counselor I had at the time, mm-hmm. because I, at, before then I had not displayed any signs of alcoholism. I mean, I, I didn't drink. Right. So right. I remember she suggested to me going for a nice meal, say with my mom or with my boyfriend at the time and having a glass of wine and enjoying every sip and enjoying the taste and just enjoying the meal and letting it settle. And I mean, ideally, yes, this is how normal people live. <laughs> Um, but for an alcoholic, no, for me, it's hundred percent abstinence and I can't, I can't go there. And, and that's kind of, that's, um, a vision of that is something that I had chased for so many years thinking I could be that person, you know, the classy girl sitting at the table, looking great, smiling, being social and just Mm -hmm. having a glass of wine or two and la la la. Um, No, (laughs) no, no. The reality is that when I have relapsed and gone, you know, gone to that dark place again, I isolate, I shut myself away from the world. It's not a social thing. And everything, all the good things that sobriety gives me, I lose fast, you know, Mm -hmm. my, you know, physical things like you know, um, financially, jobs, all of these things, um, my self-esteem, all of it goes out the window. So it's just not worth it. That vision has to be smashed in my mind, like totally abolished. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it is, there's something to learning from relapse or, maybe just for me, I always, and it, I guess it depends on how you want to look at it. Like we say the word relapse. So for me, I guess I never looked at it as a relapse, but 
talking to you. I've probably had several before I finally was like enough is enough because I would take time off, but then I would think I was okay. Like taking time off proved to me that I didn't have a problem because if I had a problem, I wouldn't be able to take time off. And so then I would just fall back into it. I would think, okay, I can moderate now. My tolerance is down. Is that similar to a relapse? I guess I'm so new in the sober world. I, I don't know. Is that what you would consider a relapse or was that just someone who just went back to drinking and like, wasn't in active recovery? Cause I wasn't consider I wasn't considering myself sober or in recovery at the time. So is that the difference you think? I mean, I think that relapse recovery has a unique definition to everybody. Yet, for me, now stay with me because this is a bit weird. <laughs> um, I'm here for it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a dangerous time for me has been like a trigger has been when I feel good because I'm one of these weird cases where I would relapse hardcore like bad, end up in the hospital, IVs mm. in my arm, like, like I don't eat, I wouldn't eat for two or three weeks, just drink, my body was shutting down. And, um, and then I'd be in the hospital, they get me stabilized. And then two days or three days later, I'd seemingly bounce back, you know, get myself together, you know, get my hair done, get my nails done and hello world. And the people in my circle, the closest people to me, my mother, you know, women I know from my recovery center here would, would be like playing catch up. Like what did that just happen? Like, what is this? So, and, and if from, in my mind, it would minimize the severity of my addiction going, was it that bad? Like, am I that bad? Look at me now. I'm back at the gym. Like I'm living my best life and, and all of this. And I'm taking selfies and posting them. And until I realized that all of that doesn't not matter, but what matters more is what's going on in the inside and healing, healing that sick little girl inside and the pain that I was holding on to. Sorry, it's getting kind of deep. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. But um, but so my relapses, I don't know, I'm not even answering your question. My relapses, like I was never a daily drinker. I would have, you know, sort of long periods of time, months at a time, where my focus has been healthy lifestyle, gym, all of it, you know, nutrition, drinking water, doing my music. And then, and then I become complacent about my recovery and I would be like, oh, what harm could a glass of wine do? Look at that innocent glass of wine. And um, it would take me down and, and repeat. And this was like a cycle. I remember the last time I spoke with my doctor, cause I'm completely open with her about my recovery. She knows everything. I mean, they sent all the reports to her from the emergency when I went yeah. in. How could she not be? Um, she was like, Ev, she was straight up with me, which I really appreciate. It's like the hospital is like this revolving door for you. You go in, 
you're you're sick, they fix you up, you get out, you're okay for a while, you relapse, you're sick, you go to the hospital and it's repeat, repeat. How are we going to break the cycle? And when she she was that direct with me, it really resonated. And I was like, I know how to get sober. I need to learn how to stay sober, you know, mm-hmm. and doing whatever it takes. There's a saying in, you know, in my 12-step program where you only need to change one thing when you choose recovery, and that's everything. <laughs> and Isn't I don't know if you the truth, that, right? I mean, people, places, things, and it sounded so overwhelming for me when I first came into the program. Like, I'm going to have to change everything in my life. But the reality is I'm, I'm so much happier letting go of the rubbish that I was carrying around, including people that I was carrying around yeah. in my world, you know? Yeah, it's amazing how... certain people can be triggers for you and you never saw it that way before. Like you really have to take a step back and yeah, when you start changing other habits, like different things, I would say for me, it was definitely changing how I live day to day. So just like routine just certain routines, right? Certain routines would lead up to wanting to have a glass of wine. And then when I didn't want it anymore, certain routines just led to the habit of going to grab it and then realizing I don't do this anymore. And it's kind of the same thing. People can trigger that too. Like this person only calls me to get together to have wine. What are we going to do other than that? And if you can't come up with an answer, then they probably weren't someone that needs to continue to be around because yeah, your recovery has to be first. And I'm sure you know all that all too well. Mm -hmm. I do. I do. And you know, another thing that's sort of kind of recent and this moment right here is part of it is my decision to let go of the shame and hiding, hiding my recovery. You know, I like Mm -hmm. being loud and proud about it, connecting with like-minded people who, because we really have nothing to be shameful of. When we choose recovery, that's something to celebrate, right? Yeah. And um, I mean, it's just such a gift for me to be able to speak honestly about this. And, And in my personal experience of it, it's been such a positive thing. You know, you touch somebody, you don't know who you're going to touch or whatever, or meet or connect with. And uh, it, it's like, it's one of those silver linings of addiction. Like, yeah, there's all these crappy parts and it took me to really dark places. But, you know, a silver lining is that we get this. It's brought us, it's brought us together. That sounds super cheesy, but <laughs> it's how I feel. I don't think it's cheesy at all. And I, I love it because we're meeting people we're we're our our authentic self when we're meeting them. Cause like you said, we're just raw. We're not hiding it anymore. We're not drinking to, cause I drank a lot to hide parts of myself that I thought people wouldn't like. And to be able to just present who I am and then find someone who actually 
appreciates that and likes that. I think that's what I love the most about meeting other sober people is just the authenticity within all of us. Cause we are, we're all very raw now. Like we've like ripped it away. We're like, this is who we are. Take it or leave it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that's a perfect segue actually, because I mean, I'm in a relationship now with someone who isn't in recovery. He's not an addict. He um, he's never experienced that. And he knows everything. He's seen me through relapse and he's stood with me, um, supported me in a wonderful way. And I've never, ever had a healthy relationship, like a healthy romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. No, no. I was like so done with, with with having relationships. I'm like, I have two little ferrets and I thought, you know what? I'm good. Like I'm living in my little basement suite here. I've got my ferrets. I've got my recovery. Like, um, and then boom, he appeared in my life. And um, I'm very grateful for that because I get to be real and honest and have something real and honest. You know, that that would be impossible if I was in active addiction. Absolutely impossible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's another win with sobriety, right? Oh, gosh. I mean, let me count the ways. (laughs) They're endless. You know, I was actually I got a plug. I I was listening to your podcast a couple episodes earlier today. Uh And something that jumped out, it was um the one about unexpected upsides yes. that you were speaking of yes. and how you felt almost like your 14 year old girl self coming out that just, I literally said out loud. Yes. Like yes. I was hiding up my house and I heard that I'm like, yeah, because it's not to say in my personal experience that I'm an immature or irresponsible person it's quite the opposite yet the buoyancy and joy and like youthfulness and fun, like genuine fun comes out, which is so cool. It's so (laughs) cool. Yes. Yes. And you know, you said you're a singer. Um, Are you a musician too? I see like Mm -hmm. instruments behind you. Um, I feel so you're a creative person. I feel I lost a lot of creativity in my drinking career. I call it a career because it was that long. And that is part of it too. I just feel like all that creative energy and thoughts. And there's days I just mentioned this. Um, I just did a podcast last Friday with a lady. It hasn't aired yet, but um, spoiler, (laughs) I talk about how I just like, I can't get over how many ideas I come up with in a day. I can't even keep up with myself. And there was a time where I just tried to get through the day. Like there was no creativity. There was nothing to excite me. I thought this is what life's supposed to be. I get my daughter to school. I keep the house up and I come home and make dinner and veg out and and drink wine. And it's just to have that back. And I, and I agree. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm immature because there is a maturity about it, but it is that childlike curiosity, creativity, creativity, all of that. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's interesting you should say that because after it was like clockwork, uh, you know, after every relapse, there would be this heavy period of creativity that followed because I would just dig myself into this dark hole and then coming out of it, it's like all of this emotion was like pouring out of me. And I, I would write like, you know, multiple songs and just anything I could do, do, you know, creative art projects, whatever. So that in a way it was positive reinforcement to my drinking and it insidiously planted the seed in my head that because of my drinking, I am, it brings me the creativity in some weird twisted way. I mean, I don't want to swear, but how effed up is that? Like, you know. know, trying to convince me that nearly dying from my addiction is worth it so I can write a few songs? <sighs> no. <laughs> and I, I have a wonderful girlfriend who I've met through the Women's Centre as well. And she took me aside, I don't know, I guess a, a while ago. And I remember a conversation. She's like, Ev, I believe that I truly believe you said this sometimes because I've shared this with her yeah. that your higher power wants you to find that creativity through the light rather than having to go to that dark place. And it was so striking for me because now in active recovery, I pick up the guitar, go to the piano on my own volition with a clear mind, with a clean heart. And you know, the creativity does flow. It's always been in me and I don't need to go. It's like, you know, the story of, is the story of Vincent van Gogh chops off his ear, like goes crazy. And like he's this creative tortured soul. I, I also had a romanticized vision of myself being this tortured artist. Ugh, I'd rather be happy. I'd rather be sober and in serenity and joyful. You know, I don't know if that, makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense because yeah. I think we give alcohol more credit than it deserves. And I could see where you would think that coming out of that was, you know, the alcohol was the reason you were able to be creative, but you know, now that that's probably had nothing to do with it. It was the fact that you were coming out of under the cloud of alcohol. That is, you know, why you were able to be creative and think of though like musicians and so many of them that are wrapped up in this like romanticizing of drugs and alcohol for the same reason and yeah you just like some of the creativity that we lose out on because mm -hmm. of it you know like you've been able to tap into something now that you would have never been able to before and alcohol took that away from you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, throughout, I mean, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but during my 20s and then, you know, a little bit into my early 30s, I feel like I got so accustomed to the high highs and the low lows, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it was like this dopamine adrenaline rush thing that felt comfortable because it was familiar yeah. and when things were just even keeled it was like awkward like what 
well, what is this? And, and I feel like I had this idea that my whole identity revolved around Ev being drama, you know, like I would cause the chaos. And if it wasn't chaotic, like who am I? And I mean, I think part of it is, I don't know, gaining a bit of life experience and maturity and realizing that I don't need that and I don't want that, but also finding other ways to fill that need, you know, creatively, but also the gym, you know, working out and getting that good, healthy, um, for lack of better words, high, Mm -hmm. the, you know, workout high for in a healthy way and and celebrating that and having goals like that's fun for me now the idea of i was never you know i was never really into clubs or anything like that but now even the idea of you know going to a club and i mean i'm too old for that anyway <laughs> like going to a club and drinking and just feeling like crap the next day and all of that does not sound fun that sounds fine yeah, punishment. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> no. I know. I agree. Um, fitness. Let's circle back to that because I have found that to be a wonderful replacement <laughs> for the dopamine. Um, it's obviously so much healthier. You're going to get more of a sustained, you know, uh, level of the do- dopamine as we know. And um, yeah, is this fitness is this new for you or have you always dabbled in it and I've always um I've never been you know naturally an athlete or athletic in that way but I guess over the last 10 years or so I've you know I've gone to the gym pretty consistently and then over the last five years, I guess, I hired a personal trainer for a period of time and started to learn how to lift. And it felt so empowering. Mm -hmm. And, and I realized that um, I am an athlete. I I am my little, my own little version of an athlete, like, like beast mode when I get to the gym, and I'm blaring my music, my headphones, and I love it. It's um, huge part of my mental um, wellness and self-care, you know, for my, for my mental health, first and foremost, actually. And the side effect benefit is the physical stuff, you know, sleeping better and feeling stronger. And I mean, a bit of the superficial stuff. I'm, I'm feeling a little more confident come yeah. summertime all this, but the mental health piece is my biggest motivation and I feel it like if I'm if I'm busy and I haven't carved out enough time to go to the gym for three days in a row three four days god forbid five or a week yeah it's like the the hamster wheel thing in the brain starts getting a bit wacky and I'm going oh (laughs) girl I gotta get myself to the gym and get my head right you know yeah I can relate to that I've actually caught that recently um, because I had taken, I was having some sciatic pain. And so I took a couple days off from weightlifting and, and by like day four, I was like, 
in a really weird mood that day. And I'm like, what, like a funk, you know, I'm just like, what is going on? Why do I feel like this? And now that I don't drink, that would have been old me would have drank. If I had a feeling that I didn't figure out and I didn't like, I would, I just, it was a drinking day then because we're not going to feel this way. And I don't allow that. It's not an option anymore. So now I sit with it and sort through and figure out what's going on. And yeah, that was definitely a conclusion that I came to. I'm like, okay, well, you haven't been working out. And obviously that is a huge factor for my mental health. And that I had a workout scheduled for the next day. And I tell you what, I got up that morning, worked out and it was like gone. The funk was gone. So it is, it's such a great, I want to call it a tool. It's a great tool for sobriety, but it's also like, we all should be working out for our health anyway. I mean, you're going to be 40. I'm 42. I feel like one, I'm not drinking anymore. And then two, I'm going into the second half of life. I want to be strong and I want to be able to like play with my grandchildren and I want to be adventurous into my 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't want to just be, you know, stuck at home, not being able to do anything or needing people to take care of me. So that's like a really big motivator um, for me, for my strength training. Right. Well, you know, I know that I spoke a bit earlier about the eating disorder stuff. Mm -hmm. Something else that I have learned about myself is when I've become sober, naturally I I've gained a bit of weight because I'm getting healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that eating disorder thing pops back into my head. And again, with the positive reinforcement thinking, if I relapse just for two weeks to three weeks, I can lose, you know, how many pounds, which sounds crazy, but that's what happens in my mind. And I've spoken to other women who who can relate to that because I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one who went there. And um, so, so in that, when I'm sober and I'm making the gym a priority and really being mindful about what I put into my head, what I put into my mouth, my body, (laughs) drinking lots of water, all of that, it keeps the eating disorder at bay because I mean, that runs so deep and I've, I've done so much work around my recovery with alcohol, but my recovery around disordered eating, it's even deeper than that because Mm. it started at such a young age. And I feel like that's something that will always be with me. Um, I was going to say, unfortunately, but you know, it is what it is. And and it's something that I must be mindful of. And, uh, and, and cause I, I'm well aware of, of the severity of that and how that can take over as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I'm a double winner here. <laughs> I'm dealing with two of these things, but you know, it is what it is. It is what it is, but I love, like you were just talking a little bit ago though, about, you know, not hiding any of this and talking about these things and how, you know, even just saying that, you know, you get triggered to relapse just so you can lose weight and go through all of that. And then to say that out loud and find out you're not alone. I mean, that's what this is all about. I mean, that's 
an unwanted gift, (laughs) but it's a gift, right? Because you can share and help others. And I'm sure that's exactly what you want is to, you know, help someone else that suffers because you suffer in the same way. And yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword having an addiction. It really is because we do feel like, well, damn, that sucks, but we can also turn it into such a positive thing to help others and to, and to share. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny we're talking about this because sort of recently I had a conversation with someone in recovery who, you know, I really respect her. She has double digits, like, and she was encouraging me and others in, you know, who, who are in early recovery to not even worry about the weight they gain, just eat the cookies, eat the ice cream, eat the cake. And that really affected me. And I went, whoa, I can't just let, you know, I mean, that's, that's unhealthy behavior. That's, that's my addictive behavior, you know, and everybody's different. I mean, some people that might be a soothing thing that isn't a dangerous, you know, rabbit hole to go down. But for me, the last thing I'd want to do is, you know, play ping pong and jump back into the whole eating disorder world. Like, mm-hmm. no, I want to finally break free and, um, and use my experiences to, um, you know, to share my story and to help others in any way I can. But I, f- I feel like I've exceeded my quota. I don't need to do any more research in that world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, I've, I can relate in a way just because I've tried so many different diets and I've had a lot of, I would say unhealthy thoughts around food because I have done so many different diets that I can be like, well, I'm confused now. Cause this diet said that was bad. And then this diet says it's okay. You know, like all the different things. So I can only imagine it being tenfold. And yeah. And then being told by someone why you're trying to get sober to basically binge eat (laughs) instead of binge drink. I could see how that would be very triggering. And, and it's just, the narrative is so hard, right? When people don't fully understand, because I would say I've, I've allowed myself to just eat whatever early in sobriety, but that's because that's what was okay for me, you know? So it is, it's hard when you're talking to others, if you don't know their full backstory to say something like that would trigger them. And that's like the last thing you would want to do, you know? Right. And Mm -hmm. it's it's personal, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in early recovery, I don't know about you, but I didn't know what a boundary was. Right. I was like, you know, let's learn about these boundaries and separating where you stop and I begin and there's this space and all of that. And something that this, you know, this the lady I know has said numerous times is a quart of ice cream or whatever you're going to eat isn't going to get you wrapped around a tree like alcohol would. Fair enough. You know, physically, I wouldn't you know, crash my car if I was eating a bunch of ice cream or whatever. Right. What happens, what happens on the inside? 
you know, where does my brain go and where is that going to go? So, so uh, that's a little bit of a, a, a triggery thing for me that I have to be mindful of and, and realize that everyone has their own opinion. And uh, my journey is one of, you know, having to not, um, not allow myself to, to get back into the binge eating junky stuff like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like, you know, you, Kayla and I talked about this actually <laughs> adding stuff in like healthy things, adding in to kind of snuff out the, the alcohol cravings or, you know, when those things creep in, like fitness is a huge one. Um, is there anything else that you feel like you've added into your life since, you know, getting sober that helps keep you at bay or keep your mental state where it needs to be? Mm, good question. Good uh, question. I'd say, um, well, as boring as, and domestic as this could sound, organizing my house, like, hey. honestly, the the state of my home is a direct representation of what's going on inside. And I take so much pride now. I'm not a clean freak by any means. Like I'm not super organized, but I love, you know, having my morning routine, wake up, make the bed, you know, do my little meditation, drink my water, open up the door, let the day in, let the, let the fresh air in. Um, and really taking pride in, in having a safe, serene environment, you know, to come home to, to be in. I predominantly work from home now, so I have to be here. I don't want to be sitting in chaos and clutter, you know. So so that's something that I guess keeps me busy, keeps me out of trouble, keeping my house uh, livable. Um, little projects. I mean, we were talking about creativity. I, I have these passion projects kind of all – um, swarming around my mind I yeah uh, you know like just doing for fun photo shoots and uh, I don't know things like that creative little things like that um, making vision boards like I just uh, anything that where I can express myself in a creative way is very healing and um, I learn about myself when I do those things you know? I love that Mm -hmm. I don't think that's boring and domestic at all. Those are very <laughs> cleaning my house and making I, board so writing <laughs> I hear routine, which I love and I strive for. And if I don't have routine, I could see myself, you know, falling into old habits. And so routine is huge for me. So I love your morning routine and yeah, like just finding, it sounds like you're not scared to try new things, especially create with creativity, you know, photography and things like that. I need to put myself out there a little bit more. That's a good, that's a good one to write down because although I keep myself busy with the podcast right now and my blog, those are new things, I guess, but I'm always one of those like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? So, um, but yeah, I, I think that's, an amazing list of things to keep you occupied. Yeah. A big part also of, of my program of recovery is service work and giving back mm -hmm. um, for so many reasons. Like I, I, I can't 
you know, do a volunteer shift or do something good for someone else and not feel better myself afterwards. It just, you know, the, they go together. So being active at the Women's Centre and helping out when I can, I'm starting a Christmas choir there for the ladies and just, um, yeah, being being of service and doing things that I could never do, not even fathom committing to if I was in active addiction because I would know that I would, you know, wouldn't be able to follow through, couldn't make a commitment, couldn't keep a commitment, anything like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's a big part as well. And I really encourage, you know, anyone who's listening to your podcast, who, um, who, who's feeling a bit antsy, you know, cause we do get a lot of, of extra time on our hands. Yes. <laughs> There's, you know, find, find a sober community to help out in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good tip actually something that I want to start doing. I have a really hard time getting outside of my home. <laughs> so, <laughs> and COVID didn't do me any favors because now I'm like, Oh, we can just all stay in all the time. But, um, I do need to meet some people in my area, but yeah, I love the giving back to the community, especially the sober community, um, that gives so much. And that's kind of what I'm doing with my blog and my podcast, because um, I've mentioned it a bajillion times, but um, yeah, that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Instagram community on, on um, or yeah, in the sober community on Instagram, because I was so lonely and I, I knew I didn't want to go back to drinking, but I I needed people because I, I wanted to talk about it and I wanted to like compare notes and I wanted advice and it was like the best thing. So now I need like some real life hangouts, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to get too woo woo and crazy, but in my personal experience of being sober, like weird And wonderful things happen in the most unexpected way. For example, can I share this? Yes. I'm very, (laughs) hey, I'm very woo-woo, by the way. Excellent. Okay, perfect. So last summer, I decided to go to a music festival and just on my own for the day. And it was country music. And, you know, I don't know if you're into country music. I am. Oh, perfect. So lots of songs are about drinking. All of them. <laughs> all of them, right? Beer and trucks and whatever, all of this. Um, but I love the music. So I went to this country music fest for the day. Um, you know, had my day and then there were the headliners that were playing in the evening. And somehow in the midst of thousands of people who were drinking, like drinking all day, camping out there, whatever they were doing, partying, having a good time. That's how I met Kayla, your guest on podcast. That's crazy. It was very crazy. Like we met each other. We clicked, didn't know we were both in recovery, Um, but we, we became friends that day and figured out we were both sober. And I'm, I'm giving myself goosebumps right now because it's so weird. 
And, you know, fast forward a couple months and I invited her over to my house for Canadian Thanksgiving last month. And, uh, and then she was on your podcast. And now I'm talking to you. And it's yeah. like, boom, 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 click, click, click. This yeah. is, these are the gifts of recovery and it keeps getting better. It really does keep getting better. And when I first came into recovery, I would hear these things. I'd go into a meeting, I'd be in a women's circle, and I'd hear these women with bright faces and clear eyes and that sparkle, you know, that glow, all of it. And I'd be like, I wouldn't believe them. I'd go, it must be lying. They're just exaggerating. They're like, whatever, you know, I just, I'm just here to stop drinking and that's all. Little did I know that like, that's only the tip of the iceberg, getting rid of the substance, like, like that's a big deal, right? Getting rid of the substance, but then yeah. all the things that come from it, a life beyond my wildest dreams. And I mean that without exaggeration. Like I'm, I'm so grateful that now I'm, I'm able to, I'm working in a field, in a job that I love. Um, it feels right. It's, it's in the world of wellness. So I get to be a part of helping people in a way. And, um, you know, my, my life is calm. It's pretty even keeled and calm and, and a, a curveball can come my way, but I can deal with it because I have the tools, because I'm sober, because even if I feel like shaken up, I've got phone numbers, I've got people to turn to and I'm actually calling them. I'm not, you know, thinking, oh, I don't want to bother anyone. I bother people. If I'm feeling off, <laughs> I bother them. So I don't yeah. do something, you know, um, that I'll regret later. So it's, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm like little miss cheerleader for recovery over here. <laughs> so if anyone's sober curious, like something I heard in the beginning too, when I first came in was give it a try. You know what? Give sobriety a try. And if you hate it, you can always go back to drinking. Like it'll be, it'll be there. Yes. And, and in my experience, yeah, I, I went, I did my research and tried it, but um, it doesn't get any better out there, but it does get a lot better over here. It does. It does. <laughs> I know. I always say, cause I'm 10 months in, if it wasn't better, I I loved, I thought I loved to drink. I can say that now that I thought I loved to drink, but nothing. I love this so much more. Sobriety is the number one thing in my life. And I can't imagine it not being the number one focus because it has brought joy that I have never felt before. And I can say that and I can finally point my finger at alcohol and be like, you are the fucking problem. You know what I mean? Like for so long, I protected it and I wouldn't allow anyone to tell me anything different. Like you were saying, you know, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to know the bad things about it. And then when I finally connected the dots that it was causing all these issues and I went down the rabbit hole and did the research, like you're saying, you can't unknow. Once you know what it's doing to you, you can't unknow that. And it's just like breaking free from jail. Like you finally are living your life 
with the passion and everything that you've ever dreamt of. Like you said, it's just like living your dream life. There's times where I'm like, how, how could have it been this simple? And I didn't see it, but you know, you can't live in regret and you just gotta keep moving forward and, and know that now I have the, now I have the the key, like now I know, and I'm going to make the best of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it all. <laughs> You're amazing. Oh, miracles. You know, that sounds woo woo again, but I mean it. We are miracles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We really are. Yeah. Do you have anything else before our time is up that you wanted to share or touch on? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to open up a whole can of worms, but what I can say is that a huge part of my recovery, my values, all of this is the honesty piece. And not just, you know, not telling the, uh, not just not telling lies and telling the truth, but the omission of the truth for me is also part of part of it. In that, what I say is like practically everyone in my world knows I am in recovery and it's made things so much easier, (laughs) you know, um, and, and the thing is, what I've come to know are the people that don't accept that I'm in recovery or are, are fearful of it. Like, I'm open to talk to anyone about it if they they have questions or anything. But people who aren't open to that, that's, that's their own journey. That's their thing. Um, and I don't need to connect with them. Um, they're more than enough sober people and sober supporting people in the world for me to connect with. And, and it's okay to gracefully let go of friendships, relationships that no longer serve. And uh, it's not always the easiest thing, but it makes space for better ones to come into. And it's, it's crazy because whenever it's like clockwork too, when I've let go of a person, place, or thing that no longer serves me, almost like instantly, something else presents itself and fills that space and 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 maybe wouldn't have been able to if I was holding on to that garbage. You're nodding your head. Yeah. I'm thinking you can relate to this. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. There's an acronym, FEAR. Have you heard this acronym for uh, FEAR? Maybe. Okay, so there's two versions. Okay. F everything and run. I don't want to swear, but you know, fear, F everything and run, or face everything and recover. And I choose the latter. I choose to face everything and recover now. I love that. I have not heard those acronyms actually. So thank you for sharing that. That's, I choose the latter as well. Thank you so much for taking. I'm to connect. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I love that you're woo woo. We will continue these woo woo conversations for sure. I need more woo woo friends in my life. So yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to connect and do this this evening. It was very soul fulfilling would be the best way for me to describe it. I, I really appreciate you sharing such vulnerable raw experiences in your life. And it will definitely 
you know, resonate with someone and help them. I know this. I, I just do. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Steph. All right. We will talk soon. Sounds good. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. Remember, I am just a woman on a mission to normalize sobriety and living a sober lifestyle. I am not a licensed therapist or a doctor. Please, if alcohol is causing serious physical or mental health issues, seek professional help. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Be sure to follow so you don't miss future episodes. And just so you know, leaving a five-star review will help this podcast reach more people like you and in the sober community. It's an easy way to do your part in normalizing a sober lifestyle. Because I truly believe that nobody should feel alone in sobriety. And that being said, feel free to reach out to me or anyone on the sober Instagram community. Check out my show notes for my Instagram handle at this is Steph sober. My DMs are always open.